following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. All right, turn in your Bibles with me uh, to, uh, to John 12. Um, we have been in John for this year, started in January. Um, and uh, God, by the way, John is the fourth gospel in the New Testament. Uh, so it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, John is very unique in its, uh, in its authorship of the Holy Spirit, in its pursuit to reveal the deity of Christ uh, to, to show how the prophets and the prophecies come to fruition in Jesus, that he's not just Messiah or the Greek word Christ, which means anointed one, but he is the son of God. This is the son of God gospel. And that uh, by declaring him the son of God, by believing that he's the son of God, we come to, um, we come to life. We come to experience eternal life. Um, I want to read uh, a verse because I think we need to keep this in front of us, especially today. Um, but throughout the Gospel of John, um, you know, our, our theme slide here, it says, uh, I'm sorry, you can go back, Colette, to the theme slide, that you may believe. So um, one of the, the, the wonderful things about the Gospel of John is in chapter 20, verses uh, 30 and 31, we're literally told at the end of the Gospel here um, this is the purpose that it's been written by the Holy Spirit for you, right? The, for the future person, the first future believer. And this is what it says. Listen to what it says. Now, this won't be on the screen. Listen to what it says. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these, speaking of these these authenticating signs, these signs that are meant to point to the messenger and the message that is meant to liberate, to save. Uh, it says, but these signs are written so that you may believe. This is written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and hear this, and that by believing you may gift you may have life in his name. Man, it's, you know, it's challenging to think that by, by, by a simple childlike faith in the person of Jesus Christ as being the Son of God that we can profess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we will be a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things are new. This is God's blueprint for salvation that we would believe on the son and by believing on him i mean even back in genesis 15 6 it says abraham believed god i mean and we know what, what was spoken over abraham as a promise it said abraham believed god and it was credited to him as righteousness right that's what's given to us at the point of salvation is the very righteousness of christ is imputed or credited to our spiritual account and we stand before god justified, cleansed, redeemed, reconciled, son, daughter. Like, 
pure, cleansed, to the point that he actually puts his spirit inside us in not a fickle way, but permanently he tabernacles us. He makes us the temple of the Holy Spirit so that his presence now, just like in the Sinai for the nation of Israel, his presence now can be realized in the world through us. So we get to, we get to finish what Jesus started. We get to, Jesus said, you will do even greater things than me. And so we're the, the body of Christ is the continual work of the, the work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to these people at this moment, a little context. So we know, the, we know the purpose, right? That you might believe and that by believing you might have life eternal in his name, right? So a little context, uh, we're going to end chapter 12 today, right? We're at the end of October, so for 10 months... We've been in the first 12 chapters of John. And this is the very end of Jesus' public ministry. Right? This, and you, I want you to imagine if this is the last words that the public, the nation of Israel, those that have, ex, that have been witnesses of his miracles and his teachings, this is the last thing he's going to say to them before he goes into a 24-hour period prior to his crucifixion with his disciples. Tom and I were talking on the retreat, and, and man, it's just interesting. Like, you know, we look at it, and it's like 12 chapters is, is in the context of three years of Jesus' public ministry, filled with prophetic um, fulfillment, right? And, uh, and then everything slows down here. From chapter 13, where Jesus washes their feet, you know, in, in preparation and part of the Seder experience, to the point that they bury Jesus... Right? We're talking a 24-hour period is now the next seven chapters. Three years, 12 chapters. The next seven chapters, 24 hours. From the beginning of the Seder meal, he washes the disciples' feet to the, to the point that, that uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus bury him in the tomb, which is, a, is, is a 24 hours. We're going we're gonna to enter into this and really dig in. This is where Jesus really imparts himself to his disciples and talks about his command being to love one another as I've loved you. He, he, he has his high priestly prayer in John 17. But like right now, where we're at in the text, right here, Jesus is wrapping it up. Verse 26 uh, says that he actually says these things and then he goes off into hiding, right, with his disciples, um, and uh, so if you were going to be at the end of your public ministry, this, you know, or this is the, the end of your life, or this is the end of somebody else's life, you're going to just tell them what is primary, what's most important. And what we see here in, the fir- in verses 37 to 43 is eight times Jesus is talking about believe, believe, believe. It's a beckoning as his whole ministry has been all about is that you might believe and be saved, right? And, uh, and then the last, the 44 to 50, the theme word is no longer believe. In 44 to 50, the theme word is judge. And, you know, as I wrestled through a title for this a couple weeks back, um, yeah, keep Marty and Lisette in prayer. They're ending up their, their week of vacation and rest. Um, but a couple weeks ago, as we were, I was wrestling over this, this title, the title of The Price of Unbelief is what the Lord gave me. And, and as I've continued to study through this passage, 
Man, that is, that is the title of this passage. You know, I, I just, I'm so challenged. Like, uh, let me ask this question. What is the price of, a, I, I've entertained this thought, this question. I've, I've put it before the Bible study this morning. But the question as we start is, what is the price of unbelief? <laughs> Eternity separated from life and love himself, right? The the absence of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the very one that imparts the mind of Christ, that, that gives us the gift of comfort, comfort, counsel, and conviction, the one that leads us into all truth and reminds us of everything that he says. You know, the, the promises of Christ are yes in Jesus. I mean, the promises of God are yes in Jesus. All of those promises that God made, you know, are, are given to us in Jesus. The price of unbelief is... It's, it's beyond description. Uh, we, we lose out some of the answers from our, this morning. We will never know unbelief. Because of unbelief, we'll ne- if we remain in unbelief, never know fellowship with the God of the universe. Um, we'll lack purpose. People that don't have a relationship with Jesus constantly go through life looking for something to fill the void, to satisfy this longing in their life. And, and, and we're told that, that, that God has placed eternity in our hearts. In other words, there's a God-shaped void in our life that only he can fill. And if we're trying to fill this, this God-shaped void with anything in this world, how empty is that going to be? And we sense that emptiness, and it's always moving on to something else. And, and so what I would say that one of the things that we, the price of unbelief is the, the never experiencing the contentment the sweetness. He says in, in, in 1 Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, so we never understand. We will never understand the love of God. We'll never be able to be a conduit of that love to our spouse or our kids. We'll never be able to live out the roles that God has called us to as husbands and wives and parents and just brothers and sisters and without the work of the Holy Spirit, we are. And all of that is, is, is given to us as a gift when we trust in Christ, when we rest our, our whole lives and all of our confidence in Him, when we confess Him as Lord and believe in our heart that He raised His Son from the dead as, a, as, a, as an example of what He'll do for you. And so... Man, the price of unbelief, you don't want to pay that. Um, lack of purpose, no ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we'll never experience the sweet discipline of Christ, of the Father. Like you're going, what? Yeah, he says that I discipline my sons, legitimate sons, Hebrews 12 says. If you're my son, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chastise. I'm gonna di- Why? Because I want you to grow up in love. It literally says this, so that he might share his holiness with us that he might share his righteousness himself with us. And we'll never know this, the, the, the peace that passes all understanding to guard our heart and mind. These are all the, the abundant life. And it's not circumstantial. It's not external. It's this glorious thing that God does in our midst. The kingdom is planted in us. When the Holy Spirit comes, we're given the mind of Christ. All of these wonderful things, unbelief, keeps us from experiencing those things. So can you imagine 
I mean, we see it in Jesus' ministry for these first 12 chapters, the first three years of his public ministry. We see his passion, his heart. He weeps over Jerusalem. He comes in on a donkey being hailed as king, and he's crying because they don't even, they don't know him. They don't see him. They don't understand his mission, his heart. And maybe you're here today, and you're going, yeah, I, I don't know that I believe. I don't know that I'm experiencing those things that the Bible refers to as a fruit of the Spirit's presence and the ministry that happens to, to my life, the transforming work that has to start from the inside and manifest itself outwardly. So, man, let's put our ears on this morning. Let's be attentive. And as Rob said last week, man, we don't know. We don't, we're not promised another day. And the gospel is being shared now. And the time for salvation is today. And this moment right here is precious in eternity. This can be the moment that, that just like what Ashley prayed for and described, you know, on March 9, 2003, when she trusted Christ. I mean, I remember her standing up in the living room and walking towards me. And I'm just, I mean, I'm crying. She's crying. Like, just, you know, like because of the, the, the magnitude of that moment, the transformation that happens and we can't change us. And God doesn't expect us to change before he starts that change in us. He calls us to this. Believe. Believe in my son. Believe that he is the, the coming Messiah, the son of God. Believe that he rose from the dead. And if you do, life eternal is yours. Not as something that's merited to you because faith is not a work. It is a gift that God gives us. The mercy of God demonstrated to just believing him to be who he is so miss gina can you hand me my water bottle i I guess i'm a little too excited this morning um so if you're with me uh we're in we're thank you gina uh we're in john chapter 12 and we're going to pick up where uh, we left off last week in verse 37 okay follow along with me and let's remember that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of christ so let's get, let's get our, let's listen. Let's, let's really take in God's word. It's so powerful and precious. Okay, though he had done, he being Jesus, had done so many signs. Uh, again, let's remember, these are authenticating signs. These point to his deity, his messiahship. These, uh, these were signs that were spoken of, that, that they would have known and, and heard about, but now they're being realized through Jesus' life and ministry. Though he, Jesus, had done so many signs before them, they did, this is the crowd, this is the gathering folks that are there, this is the nation of Israel that's come for, for Passover, they still did not believe in him. Guys, does that break your heart? Twelve, well, three years of Jesus pouring his heart out, demonstrating the Father's love, portraying the Father in perfection, Hebrews 1 says, and they are still in a posture of rejection. Like, does that not tell us about the condition of the human heart? Like how, like to reject the the Messiah, Emmanuel himself was rejected, right? It says, their names in unbelief will be stricken from the Lamb's book of life. Moving on, verse 38. So it says, They still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed 
what he heard from us. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? We'll talk about that. Therefore, they could not believe. So now it's, they, it's moved. We see a transition here in verse 39. It's, it's gone from they would not to now they could not. I hope you didn't miss that. They could, so therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, and this is a quote from Isaiah 6, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. Who is the he here? Let's get that straight. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they, that's the unbelieving world, see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw Christ's, the Messiah's glory and spoke of him, right? In his, as a prophet. Verse 42, nevertheless, now here's the condition of the authorities or the, the, the Jewish leaders. It says, nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in Jesus, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they, you know, and, and the thought is here, I don't want to be put out of the synagogue, but put out of heaven, I guess I can deal with that. I mean, like what? And then it goes on and tells us their motive or their, the, the, the intention there. Verse 43, for they loved the glory uh, the, you know, that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. It's like, it's like what Jesus talked about the Pharisees that love their, you know, love their, their name being spoken in public places. And I don't want to give up the, the fame. Man, who should get the glory in our life, Right? Who should get the, the praise? Who, who, who are we really looking to make famous through our living? You know, and, this, and when we understand that no one gets saved, no one's life gets transformed if I'm famous. But if Jesus is famous in my life, if Jesus is given the glory and the platform and the, and the, the prestige and the presence that he deserves, man, people, then my life becomes a channel or an instrument or a billboard or an appeal, as 2 Corinthians 5 says, so that they might come to know the glorious name of Jesus and the power that it has to rescue you from death to life. It is an awesome thing. But here they are, they're, they're more concerned about their glory or getting glory from man than they are about giving glory to God, right? Verse 44, and Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me, in my Father. And whoever sees me, sees him, the Father, who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes... Can, can you just kind of put yourself in the setting and see Jesus' like, like emphatic expression here and how he's like sharing this? Like he says, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who, who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given himself, has himself given me a commandment that what to say and what to speak. 
Now listen to what it says here. And I know that this, excuse me, his commandment is eternal life. So what is Jesus, what is Jesus saying and speaking? Eternal life. That's what it's saying. He's saying he says, uh, he himself has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Jesus' words are the words of life eternal, right? And then it goes on saying, it says, what I say, therefore, I say as, a, as the Father has told me. So we see again the example of Jesus being a model for us our ultimate high priest, our, our, the firstborn among many brethren, like he's the one, that the, the forerunner to show us and model for us that we're called to live lives that are completely surrendered and submitted to the will of God, that we don't want our way, we want his way. We believe that it's better. Even though it, doesn't, it might not make sense at the moment, we trust him that his word works and that it has eternal life uh, in, the, in the midst. So as I mentioned earlier, the key phrases in this, in this passage is believe. It's used eight times. Anytime you see a rep, things repeated in the scriptures, please know that that is an indicator that there is something very important here that's related to that particular word. Um, so let's break this down. First, John explains the unbelief of the people. And he says, they would not believe. Now, please, please see this because it's so obvious in the text. And this is scary. This is like, I mean, we serve, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, right? Like, like we got to understand that, that so often we want to put God in this, you know, I'll do this and then I'll just ask for forgiveness, you know, license to sin, kind of, you know, and just think that, oh, he's just, a, he's going to, you know, grace is, a, yes, grace abounds, covers our sin, total, incomplete, but listen, when, if we have this attitude that he is not just, that he is not holy, that he is not righteous, listen, he will not betray himself. He will not deny himself. He will not contradict his own attributes or his own character. And it, the progression we see in this passage is, is I mean, it's, it's scary. I mean, it's not scary. It's, it's holy. It's... Um, it's sobering, yes, Morgan, like, cause, because here's the thing. It starts off saying that they would not believe, and then their hearts are hardened. By whom? By God himself. He turns them over in their unbelief and rejection, and it says now they could not believe. And we see that from, from, uh, from Isaiah 53. I mean, uh, six. So here, let's break it down. In, in, we're in the text, we're, we're here saying that they would not believe. They, they, they choose not to believe. They reject. Um, I, I love this. Let me say it this way. Uh, Jesus used a parable, and he talked about that, the, uh, that the, on the last days, there's a wedding feast because basically Jesus gets his bride. That's you and me, right? It's a love relationship. Let's never lose sight of that. And, and, and then because this is a wedding banquet or feast, uh, in one of the parables, Jesus says that they, that, that they sent out invitations, Send out invitations. Now, you probably received a wedding invitation or sent them yourselves. And on there, it says what? Accept, and then you got to put in the number, name, or what? Decline if they want to be nice or reject. I've seen reject on there, right? So like, um, and, and basically, that's what's going on. Like, Jesus is inviting you into his husbandry. He's inviting you into his love. 
He's inviting you into this intimate relationship where he's going to reveal himself, not in part, but, but fully to you at, at that day. And there are many that get their wedding invitation. And, and he's, he's the hound of heaven, right? We know that. Like he sends those things out, right? Go into the highways and byways, it says, right? Like he's, he's beckoning anyone, come. Like it's an invitation. And the, the mass response is, I got stuff going on. I'm busy. I've got business to attend to. I got things happening over. And some of those things are good, but they're not. They're not worthy to reject the offer, the invitation into Christ's love, into his heart, into his care, into his authority, into his name. That's one of the most beautiful things about marriage. We get the, the picture there is Jesus shares his name with us. Just like a wife takes on her husband's. He shares his name with us, and with his name comes his authority, his inheritance. The list goes on. Do you see that? That's a beautiful thing that he's inviting us into. And there are people that are constantly and figuratively receiving that invitation and going, reject, reject. And over and over again, three years, he's just putting himself out there putting himself out there, declaring who he, who he is, and it's just like, reject, 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 reject. And then it comes to say, we're going to see this. There's a point where God says, okay, now you've hardened your heart like Pharaoh five times. I'm going to harden your heart. Now you cannot respond because of your posture. Though they had done so many signs, so, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. They still do not believe in him. He's right at the end of his public ministry. It's done, right? So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? So like whenever you see the arm of the Lord, it's talking about his power or his strength and specific to his ability or power to save it's the arm of salvation. It's the power to rescue and ransom us back. And it says, who has believed and what, what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Well, the truth is to the world, but they're, they're still checking the reject box. And listen, Isaiah 53, one through five, this is what it says. And by the way, whenever, please don't miss this. Whenever the New Testament referenced the Old Testament, we must go back and read it in context because we miss a massive blessing. This is why. Because when Jesus is on the cross, he references Psalms 23, I mean 22, right? And what does he give him? He gives him the very first verse, which is what? My God, my God, why have you, why have you forsaken me, right? So, so, but what was he referring to? He wasn't just referring, he wasn't making the statement of just verse one in Psalms 22. He was referring to the whole Psalm. And if you read the whole Psalm, it's about God is my savior. He's the one that will rescue me, right? Here he's talking, he, the, the quote that John makes in this moment is a quote um, in retrospect to what the people's response in rejecting Jesus. And basically the quote is from Isaiah 53, and there, the assumption to a Jewish audience that's predominantly men is suffering servant. Look how we dealt with it. So when he says this in this moment, he, the audience, the first century Jewish audience, knows what he's talking about in its context, the whole chapter. So now I'm going to read it to you because this is what he's saying. Listen and think about like what's, what's being said here. Though they had the signs, though, which the signs are related to prof- to prophecy, right? 
They were depicting who Jesus would be so that when he showed up, they would go, aha, right? And so the signs were there and they still didn't believe. Listen to what Isaiah 53 says. This, I'm just doing verse one through five. Later on, you should go all the way to 12. It's awesome. So listen to what it says. Who has believed what the Lord has heard from us? Isaiah is saying. And to whom has the arm of the Lord, the strength to save, been revealed? Listen to what it says. For he, Jesus, foreshadow, grew up before him, the father, like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. External beauty. No beauty that we should desire him. Then listen. He acquainted with grief, with grief and as one from whom med, men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has, listen, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. We said, oh, you know, he's cursed. He's hanging on a tree, smitten by God and afflicted. But listen to what it says. But he, Jesus, was wounded for our sins, for our transgressions. He was, he, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement or punishment that brought us peace. And with his stripes, with Jesus' stripes, and they could never even imagine what that would look like in practical terms when he got the cat of nine tails 39 times scourged across his back. And with his stripes, we are healed. Our sin, his suffering, our shame, he took it. So like, this is what he says here. Like, you, they missed it. Don't you? It was already given to you over 700 years earlier, and you still rejected him, even though you had the sign that he lived this out to perfection. So the first thing we see is they would not believe. Number two, they could not believe. So after a, after a, and, and I just unpack this really quickly. After a series of checking that reject box, over and over and over and over and over again. There's a time that we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament depicted in parables, depicted in Jesus' words in three out of the four Gospels, Paul's ministry twice, that God will turn us over and give us what we, what we want. And that's a scary thing that God will eventually, that, that what we could respond to or, or, or should have responded to, now we can't because our hearts has been hardened. This, this we saw with Pharaoh, right? He was given the word of God. God's word came to him and he said no. And he said no. And he said no. And he said no. Should we be careful about how we respond to God's word? Even as believers, can we grieve the Holy Spirit? Can we quench the Spirit's work in our life in disbelief when we're told over and over again, that, and that, that faith is the response to, 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 this, to this request. Not this request, this command. And, and after saying no, 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 then people start out, well, it's not fair. God hardened his heart. Yeah, but keep reading. Go back to the beginning. Who hardened whose heart? He hardened his own heart five times before God started hardening his heart in order to bring about his will. So they could not believe. See right here in John chapter 12, 39 to 41. Therefore, they could not, could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, 
He, and this is from Isaiah 6, he has blinded their eyes, he being God, we'll see that in, in I'll cross-reference it for you, um, and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw prophetically his glory and spoke of him speaking of Jesus. Now, here's the deal. This comes from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. The backdrop here, because we don't have time for all that, is Isaiah is caught up in a vision, and he sees the, the throne of God, and he says, Woe is me, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips, and I have seen the living God, the Lord Almighty. Right? And, uh, and then what happens is a, a seraphim or an angel comes and brings a coal from the altar and touches his lips, symbolic of Jesus' work on the cross and the empty tomb, and he is cleansed of his sin. And then all of a sudden, the, the, the Trinity goes into a conversation. Man, we got a mission out there, and who are we going to send? Like, who's going to go and tell them what, we, what I would want them to hear? And he, then you see kind of Isaiah going, hey, pick me, pick me, pick me. He's like, but it says, you know, because it's got to be, you know, here I am, send me. But I'm sure he was pretty emphatic and pretty excited. Hey, I'll, I'll do it. But then he gets the message. And the message is this. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart, make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So in the passage, we understand that if we respond in repentance, that's what it means to turn. They were often accused of being stiff-necked, right? And that means that they were unwilling to repent, unwilling to turn from their wicked ways and turn to God's path or, 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 or word. And it says, but it tells us if they were willing to turn, I would heal them. But now I am hardening, I'm hardening, harder, say it. Thank you. Their hearts, right? And so, man, that's, a, whew, that's, the, that's the holiness. That's the justice of God. God is not okay with sin. God hates sin. Jesus died to demonstrate God's hatred for sin's impact. Jesus wept when he was in, in the presence of the consequence of sin in, in, in Lazarus' uh, funeral. So I have a thought. In spite of all the signs that were given to them, they remained in unbelief. What about us today? What about the culture that we live in today? What about my heart? What about your heart? Listen to this. This, this is the verse that God just threw at me when I was just pondering this. Um, listen to Romans 1, 18 to 25. And, and I'm going to tell you that I believe that the condition of the fallen heart is pretty much the same, though it has degrees of decay. But listen to what, what Paul de just declares here in the first chapter of Romans. He says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Right? This is after the cross. This is, this is the, God is still revealing his wrath against unrighteousness and ungodliness. Who by their unrighteousness... I don't know if I highlighted it up here. Suppress the truth. Suppress the truth. 
Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them. So the question beckons, well, how is it plain to the ungodly and the unrighteous? How is God plain to them? Listen to what it says. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, creation itself. So they are, what does it say? Without excuse. Do you know, basically I always say it this way, you know, uh, creation itself is evidence of God, man is without excuse. We don't stand before God and say, I didn't even know you existed. He says, my creation in general terms depicts the creator. For although they knew God, now that's interesting, talking about the ungodly, unrighteous, although they knew God, or I'd say knew about God, right? They did not honor him as God and give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now that's, that's, that's out of disbelief. Claim to be, claiming to be wise, they became futile fools, right, in in worldly wisdom versus the only true wisdom that comes from above, um, and exchange the glory, listen to this, and exchange the glory of the immortal God, talk about idols, uh, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things and the NFL and, oh, it doesn't say that? Okay, so like, I mean, like, you know, our family, I mean, the list goes on. There's, There's anything that we put above God is an idol, you know, anything that he's made it has a potential to kind of to, to, to capture the cravings of our heart and we, then, we, then we idolize it when we serve and worship it, when we give our time and our energy and our, and our resources to it. So then it says this, listen to what it says, just listen to what it says. Therefore, God gave them up. I think of product, the prodigal son in Luke 15, right? In Luke 15, the prodigal son... He doesn't want anything to do with the father. He considers the father a hindrance to his inheritance. Basically says, I don't care if you live or die, just give me my share, which isn't even his yet, of the inheritance. Can't spend too much time here, but I just want to say this. God gives him over to the very thing he wants. You know what he wants? He wants wild living in a far off land, right? He just wants to, to sow his wild oats. He wants to see his, his desires realized. As we talked in our Bible study just recently, money is a dangerous thing. It's the root to all kinds of evil because it allows us, it, it basically funds our desires. And we've got to be incredibly careful about, about that. And maybe that's why we're not entrusted with funds because our desires are wrong. So therefore, God gave them up Right? When we want something other than him, God will give us that so that we know how empty and shallow it is and what happened to the prodigal son. He ended up in a pig's pen in the midst of a famine and fortunately, by the grace of God, came to his senses. But there are many people that are in a pig's pen and they're in the famine and they're at the bottom of their lives and they still don't come to their senses because they're not turning to God. They're just turning to another idol or they're continuing to want to do it in their own strength. And so here's the thing. It says, therefore, verse 24, God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to the impurities. Guys, can I just say this? Be careful what you want. Really be honest about what you desire. Like God says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. But the prerequisite is this. Like he wants to put his desires in you, but your pleasure, your pursuit, your, your passion needs to be him him right but if not he 
He gives them up in the lusts of their hearts to the impurities, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Later in this passage, it talks about guys being with guys and girls being with girls, doing things that that ought not be done um, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, for a lie, the idol, and worshiped and served the creature, the idol, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Guys, I have to, I just have to read. Um, this goes on. Listen, listen to it. I, I mean, you just have to hear this. I don't have it on the screen, but I want to read this. So it goes on to say, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. Now he starts to, to, to kind of just describe our culture, right? They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliceness. They are gossipers, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Like that's right in the middle of all that. Kids, just throwing that in there. So verse 31, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, Though they, listen to this, and it's talking about the ungodly and the unrighteous. This is what it says. Though they know God's righteous decrees that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. And these are the hearts that God turns over. Hopefully to come to their senses. But we've seen, I've seen people that are just, they're just bent on Reject, reject, reject. The arm of the Lord has been revealed in great power, yet they close their eyes to the truth, meaning Jesus right in front of their eyes or his word. They had heard the message and seen the miracles, the miraculous signs, attesting miracles, and would, would not believe. When someone resists the truth or the light, as it says in this passage, the Lord permits blindness to come over their hearts. Now, just in case you're still wrestling with this and you're like, man, I want to see some other scripture to kind of authenticate this. Here we go. Matthew 13, 14 to 15, Jesus' words. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah, going back to the same one that we've already read, is fulfilled in chapter 6 and says, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's hearts has grown dull, and with their eyes they, they can barely, excuse me, ears, they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed, lest, that, that's rejection, that's, lest they see, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. I would heal them. We see this uh, in, in Mark chapter 4. Uh, we see it in Luke chapter 8. Jimbo read a passage that's a parable that helps to illustrate all this uh, in, in chapter 8, verse 10, and then goes on in 16 and later. Um, in Acts chapter 28, Paul, listen to what happens with Paul. He says, And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. And his the statement was this, The Holy Spirit was right when he's, uh, in saying to your fathers, obviously a Jewish audience, through Isaiah the prophet, and he quotes the same thing, talking about the condition of their rejecting heart. Romans 11.8, as it is written, God, listen, just so we're going, I don't know if that's he is God giving them over. Listen, it says, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. Why does God do that? Because he, that's what love does. That sounds great. That's what love does. 
Because if you think that, that God is this pushover grace, you know, that, that, there's, that, that God is not just and that he's not holy and he's not righteous, look, there, there's an extent to this perfect patience of God. Pharaoh saw it. He watched his entire army, his entire pride and envy and, and, and image washed up in the Red Sea. God humbled him through it all. I hope it saved him. It is a serious thing to treat God's truth, his son, his word lightly. That's a serious thing. But listen to what Isaiah 55, 6 says. Seek the Lord, listen to what it says, while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Rob talked about this last week. There were those who would not believe, would not believe, and then there were those who would not openly profess Christ even though they had believed. And there's a warning to this, right? Remember, nevertheless, even, even many of the authorities believed in him for the fear of the Pharisees. They did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue for they love the glory that comes from man to them more than they, the glory uh, that comes from God. So God actually will glorify us. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt, lift you up. Um, I, I believe that Nicodemus and Joseph Arimathea might have been in this group, but after 24 hours, and the, the, the sacrifice of Christ, I think, and, and they saw the kangaroo court and all of that, I think it all clicked. I think the Holy Spirit did a work in them, and we see them as burying a king from their perspective. In Matthew 10, 32 to 33, listen to what it says. So everyone who acknowledges me, this is Jesus, before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. In other words, they're with me, right? But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. The word, the operable word here, deny. Listen to verse uh, 26 of chapter 9 of Luke. It says, whoever is, what's the operative word? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes into his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. He knows our hearts. Mark chapter 8, verse 38, it says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And then as I mentioned, man, let's not forget, Pharaoh hardened his own heart, right? It says in Exodus 8, 32, it says, But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go, which was God's word, God's request, God's command. Romans, then we look at some of the things that Paul says here. And, and I, I transition to this because this is, this, is, this is the conviction of Paul. This is the antonym of what's being described in this passage. Listen to what Paul says. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation, the good news of Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. To everyone, listen, it says everyone, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. And then later in chapter, chapter 10, he gives us the very clear like, path. People ask, how do, we, how, how do I lead someone to Christ? Right here it says, in, in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, it tells us in another passage in 8, I believe, that we need the help of the Holy Spirit to do this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart... One believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And is saved. That it's, a, it's, a, it's a sincere faith in God's promises, God's word, and in God's Son. 
And the latter part of verse 42, 43, you know, for they love the glory of God that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Uh, you know, back in chapter 5 of John, verse 44, listen to what Jesus said about this specific thing. He says, how can you believe, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Man, guys, what are, it really confronts our motives what are we after here? I mean, do we realize that it's just a, it's a childlike, sincere faith in Jesus Christ, that he's the son of God that was sent to demonstrate the father's love, to die in our place, to rescue us from sin's wrath and slavery, and to purchase us back in a, in a form of ransom to his love, to his heart, to this intimate relationship. And then Jesus goes into a summary. As we close up here, listen, he goes into this summary and, and, and verses 44 to 50 is basically just recapping his entire ministry. It's not something, he's not unpacking any of this stuff. He's not teaching it again. He's repetitively reminding them, but he's basically saying, look, chapter one, I talked about being the light of the world. Ta chapter three, I talked to Nick Demas and I, I'm not the judge, but I will be the judge based on my word when I come back again, right? And so some of the things we see in 44 to 50, as we read earlier, are these. These are Jesus' final words that he spends, uh, that he shares in this moment before he goes into time with his disciples. It sounds familiar because it's a summary of his ministry. And these are the things we hear. A focus on faith. Jesus is the light of the world. God sent his son. When we have seen the son, you've seen the father. His words are the very words of God. Faith in him brings salvation. And to reject Jesus is to face eternal judgment. In fact, the very word that he has spoken will judge those who have rejected it and him. Why? Because the word points to the word that became flesh. The word judge appears, as I mentioned, four times here. Jesus in Jesus' closing statement about judgment. Jesus did not come to judge. He came to save but if people do not trust the Savior, the Savior's words will become their judge on the last day. If you think about it, the sinner is actually passing judgment on themselves, not the Lord. Think about that. We, we have looked at Jesus' public ministry over the last 10 months, 12 chapters, and have seen Jesus' passionate heart to ransom lives. He came, he died, he sacrificed. I mean, let me just ask a quick question. How many people have died for you? How many people have died for you, much less to purchase something as profound and as eternal as life in his name? That's how much he loves you. That's how passionate he is about you coming home. But there's a point where we reject him that there is, there's a hard heart. There's a, there's a, it's, that's the path that's wide that leads to destruction. So I have these questions for you as I close. If the worship team wants to come, have you come to realize that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God and the Savior of the world? We've spent 10 months looking at this. I don't know how long you've been with us, but man, every week it's a, it's a passionate declaration that I am the Son of God and I've come to rescue you back to the Father. Do you know him or do you just know about him? Have you put your trust in Jesus and received eternal life? Have you publicly professed him as Lord? John 12, 36. 
Rob ended on this last week. This is the final words before it says in the last part of the same verse that he went into hiding with his disciples and left his public ministry. It says this, while you have the light, believe in the light. Hear that as practically this morning because today is the day of salvation, the scripture says. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons and daughters of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Guys, um, I'm going to say this with all of my heart. I don't promise not to cry. But hear, hear this, please. God loves you. He, he died. Sent, he didn't, the Father sent his son to die. So, and, and to pay the price of your sin in such a complete way that it's finished that you can experience this intimate relationship with him because there's no separation from sin any longer. But sin separates us. It actually creates a depraved mind and a lustful heart and and it keeps us at odds with, with life himself and the love that wants to shower or bathe our lives for holiness and righteousness. I don't know where you're at this morning, but but don't stay in unbelief. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as Lord, you've never publicly professed him as Lord, you've never believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, I just want to create that opportunity this morning. And if you're here today and you're like, man, I've been in the church, you know, I, I would even like Ashley have said it, you know, I would say that I was a Christian, but based on what the Spirit's kind of led and taught me today, maybe not. Maybe my unbelief is more evident to me now than, than before and I need, to, I need to surrender my life to Christ. Or maybe I've surrendered my life, but, but like a couple that needs to do a, a renewal of vows in order to be reminded and to demonstrate their, their love and their commitment to Christ, I need to renew my relationship with Christ right here, right now and declare that I'm his and he's got all of me. I don't know where you stand. But my challenge to you this morning is to stand, is to stand up today for Jesus, to profess with your mouth simply, Jesus is Lord, and to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that it's that simple childlike faith that really ushers the transformation work that only God can do. So if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as Lord, I'm just going to challenge, listen, if you can't stand here where you're going to be celebrated and encouraged and loved on and the angels of heaven rejoice, it's not going to happen out there, okay? Because that's not where we get encouraged. But you will be here. And, but if this, sincerely the Holy Spirit is calling you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ because you don't want to be that heart that continually rejects the Lord and, and finds yourself in unbelief for eternity, separated from the love of God. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.